Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Welcome back. Today's episode is a little bit of marketing, a little bit of communication skills, and a little bit of career exploration for scientists. So get ready for that. Before we start, I want to remind you about my new podcast over on Substack. It's called CC colon Life Science. That's right, I'm carbon copying the entire industry. I'm following my curiosity to learn about all kinds of tech in the life sciences, and I hope you'll check it out. There will be a link in the show notes. Now, let's find out about building better communication in biotech venture capital. Susanna Harris is the Senior Manager for Engagement and Communications at Zontogeny, a biotech aggregator supporting the accelerated development of life science technologies in the pursuit of helping patients with serious diseases. Susanna, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting to be here. So first of all, just to give everybody context, describe Zontogeny for folks because it's I think it's fairly unique. Sure thing. So yeah, Zontogeny, it's, it's, um, it's got a model where it takes a little bit of time to figure out what exactly is going on. But then the moment you do, you're like, wow, why doesn't everything work like this in, in the venture situation? So uh, like you said, it's a, a biotech aggregator. Sometimes we call it an accelerator, an incubator. All these different terms really are to say our, our job is to help launch biotech companies. We're working with really, really early stage. Oftentimes this is one to two to three founders. They have some cool piece of technology that maybe is a drug, a device, a diagnostic, something that is going to help help humans be healthier. It's about human health life sciences. And they're coming to us saying, I have this cool science. I want to build a company around it. I want to bring the science into the hands of the patients. But I don't necessarily have all the resources, all of the experience that I need to do those things. So our job at Zontogeny is to, first of all, give them some financial capital. We give them a small amount of money at that seed stage for them to get through preclinical trials. This is sort of showing that you know safety isn't an issue, um, anything else like that, just getting their feet firmly on the ground. Uh, and as they're using this capital, our goal is to help them manage it, help them build their company. We're sort of like a management consulting team in a box, getting them ready to go towards getting that next round of funding, a Series A, which we can also facilitate because our group manages the PXV fund under the Perceptive Advisors umbrella. That just means that we can help get that Series A, that next round of funding. And what's great about this model is that First of all, we really work with first-time founders. We really try to keep founders in their companies if that's what they want to be doing, if they want to go. We had one of our first companies go all the way through from this was a scientific founder coming out of a university in Virginia. And when the company went public, it was that same founder as the CEO living in Virginia. Something that Zontogeny is based in Boston, but working with scientists all over the country really just focused on what is your technology and can we help you build around that. Nice. So you have a role, because of the ways ontogeny works, you have a role um, that is also unique. Des- describe that for us, because you're sort of doing marketing and you 
well, you market Zontogeny to the world, and then you market your portfolio to their world. That's exactly that's exactly it. Where I have, I kind of have the same job as two separate people or, or in two separate spaces. So like I said, we're a management consulting team in a box. And what that means is that whether it's Zontogeny, my team, whether I'm talking about them, I'm working with the media to put out press releases, um, going to conferences, speaking with tech transfer offices, doing deal sourcing, anything that you'd think about, what is a, a VC firm, what does an acceler- accelerator need in terms of their kind of public image, their branding, how the world knows them. I do that for Zontogeny, but I also do that for our portfolio companies. They will come to me and especially if it's a smaller project. So they might come and say, we need to be thinking about our social media strategy. Can you help us look over our thoughts? Or we're building a micro website so that we have a landing page. Can you facilitate that? I have a lot of skills in the digital media content creation side and also in the communication side. So helping them figure out what their message is and the basic start of getting that going. Another really big piece though is actually working with vendors, um, working with other service providers. So right, if a company comes to me and says, we want to build a microsite, a landing page, I can do that. I can help them set that up on WordPress or Squarespace or anything like that. But if they come and say, we want to build a whole website with 20 different pages, interactive pieces, that's where my job becomes really acting as a connector, as a facilitator and saying, I'm going to vet five different website designers for you. I know what I know what you're looking for potentially more than you do because I understand the communications and digital media spaces. So one of the the ways that I've described it in the past is sort of like being the wedding planner of for all these different companies where some of the things I can run around, I can help them with. We just put out an announcement um, that we invested in a new Series A company and so helping them write that press release, but also ultimately working with the media companies that are going to be doing the bulk of the work. I just need to make sure that all the trains regarding communications are, are leaving the station on time. Right. You answered my next question was essentially, you know, you're helping these folks with their marketing and you have those skills, but you can't possibly have the capacity, you know, in any one company to do all those things, let alone across several. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that answered that about reaching out to, providers and so on. So you're sort of managing the central services for the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, you know, that's a, that was a big difference from my, um, my academic training. So I have a PhD in microbiology and I, in, in a PhD, you're, you're kind of every piece of that project. You're the project manager, you're the writer, you're the editor, you're the lab hands. And so transitioning into this role where I get to really work as a teammate to a lot of different groups, um, that's been quite a transition, but uh, but one that I've really enjoyed. Yeah, we're going to dig into the career part of it a little bit later. But what are the advantages of having someone in your role for each of your audience? So you have investors, you've got scientists, founders, and you've got the potential customers of those scientists. So I think that the... Um, you know, I think what you're what you're highlighting there is actually really important is that there are all of these different audiences or or stakeholders, if you want to call them that, um, that are trying to understand and communicate very similar messages, but in their own languages, if you will. So 
ultimately, at the end of the day, everyone wants basically the same thing. Everyone wants the science to work out. Everyone wants the company to be successful. If you're the investor, you want this company to be successful. You want the product to actually work. You want something that you can produce and, and show to the people who have given you the funds to invest. And of course, if you're the scientist, you want to see the technology that you've created getting into the hands of the people that you're thinking of when you're creating it. And if you're the business person, you're wanting to show that you've managed to work with all these different groups to create something brand new around a piece of science that is just like, it's an incredible feat. The difficulty for these different audiences is actually just speaking to each other. Um, and sometimes coming to the table feeling like they are, they're there to like convince the other person, or even they're there to fight the other person to stand their ground and, and say, well, I want to do the science this way, or I think we should move the company this way. I think that the importance of somebody like me is in some cases sort of acting as a mediator, but much more acting as a translator and being able to look at when the scientists come to me and they say, we want to be pitching our idea to the VC. We want you to send along this deck. We want to have this conversation for me to be able to take a look, digest their science at coming in from, you know, putting on my scientist hat and, and saying, what does this actually mean? What are your findings? And going back to them and saying, Hey, your stuff is really cool, but the way that you're presenting it, it's not going to be cool to the investors. It's not, you're not getting across the information that they want to listen to. And so I just need you to say the same thing in a different way. That goes the other way too, that a lot of investors, if they haven't had an academic or scientific background, don't really understand what's at the core of what's important to scientists. And it's just my job is to say, love what you're trying to say. Let's just massage this a little bit so that it comes across right to the other side. That's, yeah, I just think that's fantastic. I mean, it's so well put. Um, you know, everybody's got good stuff, but not always talking to the right audience or putting it in the right language. Um, one thing I hear fairly often in a conversation like this is that startups don't start telling their stories or building their audience early enough. They like they want to get the science perfect and have everything ready to go. And then there's nobody waiting for it because they didn't know it was coming. Do you see that? Yeah, I think that there's um, there for uh, two groups of people, entrepreneurs and scientists, who are constantly told to embrace failure. It's I think they're constantly told to embrace failure because it's so difficult. Um, entrepreneurs are under a ton of pressure to always seem poised, always know what's going on. And similarly, scientists want to always have an answer to every single question that's asked. They are not ready to go give a presentation until they're ready to defend themselves. But as both of these groups know, the only way you can get better is to start putting ideas out there, to start presenting. And you don't know what questions are going to be asked until you get put on the spot. There's going to be questions that you get asked that you're not ready for. Uh, and so I think that the, the challenge is that a lot of times the entrepreneurs or the scientists build up their own stories in their own minds and try to get it right for so long that by the time they try it out on someone else, they try it on their audience they're already they're already in it that's already their reality that's they're married to this idea and it's so much harder at that point to start shifting and shaping it in a different direction so i think it's less so building an audience and more understanding who your audience is i think it's actually a lot easier when you're smaller the stakes are are lower 
if you are a seed stage company, if you haven't taken on public, you know, blue chip investment capital, not public funding, but if, if you're still in stealth and you start chatting with people and saying, we have this awesome product that does X and they're like, eh, neat. And you try another another person in your audience and say, we've got this product that really addresses the problem why, and they are so in, you can start shaping your discussion towards that audience well before you actually need to collect them. Yeah. I was thinking about it a little bit differently, but relative to what you just said, I, this has come up a few times on the podcast. When you're small, I I say as from the perspective of a content creator and people want to be perfect when they put out their first video or whatever. And I always say the good news is on your first video, no one's watching (laughs) only a few people and they'll probably be nice to you. (laughs) And then you get better and better. Like you're not going to ruin your whole career by putting out a dud on your first one. Right? So it's okay to make those mistakes. (laughs) But what I was, no, absolutely. And I think, no, you go ahead. Finish that one up. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I, I was going to say, I think that's an, an excellent point for anyone at whatever stage of if they're building a startup or they're getting in communications or anything else like that. Um, yeah, you. And once you start growing an audience, you realize the benefits of not having that audience. You realize the benefits of getting to figure things out and test things out. And I mean, I, but I, I still try to do that as much as possible. I actually, I had this idea of like, how would this land specifically with venture capitalists? I wanted to understand how a theory I had would land with someone who runs a venture capital firm. And I got a chance to talk to somebody recently, like earlier this week. And I tried this out. I tried what I was saying and it did not land well. It's not the end of the world though. Like that's what I got was information for the next conversation. I didn't put it out in a way that was, you know, offensive or anything else like that. But I think he walked away from that conversation being like, I don't know if she knows exactly what she's talking (laughs) about. And I left thinking like, okay, never want to say it that way again, but I'm glad I did that in that one-on-one conversation versus in a giant public audience. And when you're starting out, your giant public audience is kind of oftentimes just one or two people, really. Right. And the fear is that that person's going to tell everybody, but the truth is five minutes later, he doesn't even remember, right? (laughs) Exactly. Um, The other direction I was thinking about with that question is, um, Frank Dolan and I have talked about this on this podcast, is just telling a story around... Um, for example, a particular disease state or something just to build the audience to let people know this is what you're interested in, not so much focused on your technology, but to gather people like here's the state of play for this particular condition right now and build the audience that way. Do you think about that at all? I do. I do. I think that the um, the idea of a story is really important. Uh, but then to deconstruct that of what is a story, and I think so often people think of here is a timeline narrative or, or here's a historical account of how I got to where I am and set aside one or two slides or if they have a 10-minute presentation, they have three minutes on their story. And in reality, a story can just be all you have to know is that you've started at one place something led to a discovery, a change, and now you are different for that situation. Um, For example, one of our companies that uh, is a seed company of ours, and I think they're doing really cool stuff, part of their story is that one of their scientific founders had preterm twins. 
Um, his wife gave birth to preterm twins. The technology that this company is building is a treatment for white matter brain injury in neonates, in babies that are born early. Oftentimes, like up to 50% will have some form of white matter brain injury, which can lead to a lot of complications down the road. So he doesn't need to go into two slides on here's the whole story of having twins and all these things, but he can say, as a parent of newborn twins that were born preterm, I wished that there was something that could treat the conditions we might be facing, and there was nothing. Now we have something. Like that, that's a whole story that is compelling, that is personal, um, and it, it achieves what you're looking for, which is like, oh my gosh, there must be other people, or I can see myself in that situation. That would be scary. Wow, it would be great to be able to provide this service to someone who needs it. Yeah. So do talk a little bit more about the importance of the audience perspective, if we haven't already hammered that enough, but just in case there's more to say. Yeah, uh, I think so. Audience perspective is, is interesting and, and it's, it's hard to figure out where are people coming from, or it's hard to predict where are people coming from. Um, and you, we try to do different surveys and studies and say, okay, 60% of these people are going to like the color blue or on social media, you average out and figure out what the, the general population is going to think about a certain phrasing. You can do all these different things. But when you're talking to individual people within an audience um, or even like an audience at large, I think it's still much better to think about talking to individual people, understanding that there are limitations to predicting based on statistics. And realizing that the best way to figure out where somebody is right now, what they're interested in, is asking questions, is being observant. So one of the things that I see science communicators have a hard time with, right? Like they're trying to be perfect and they've narrowed down what they're going to say. And they see a 10-year-old girl and say, hey, I bet you love horses. Let's talk about how horses learn to run and we'll talk about physics. Instead of saying hey, what are you interested in? Or, hey, I noticed that you're wearing Power Ranger shoes. That's pretty cool. Do you have a favorite Power Ranger? And engaging, and maybe you turn your discussion about physics towards Power Rangers. That's like a very child-centric version. Um, but as adults as well, I think a lot of times founders will say, this is what a VC wants to hear. And they don't go to the, the venture capital firm's website. They don't look at what else the venture capital firm has invested in. There's, there's one thing to say, this is what I've been told VCs like. And it's another thing to say, well, how has this VC demonstrated their interest? Or even going into that conversation and saying, hey, I looked you up on LinkedIn before or before this, and um, I saw that you did your PhD in cell biology. That's pretty exciting. I, you know, as you know, my technology is related to that. What did you like about cell? Like just asking a question, how, how did you like your, your PhD? How did you like that research? Um, what got you interested in these things? Building that personal connection and really understanding where the audience is coming from because this is the only way to get individualized buy-in from people where they, they feel like I actually want, I want to care about this, I want to help, I want to understand. So that's a perfect segue to uh, the career segment because it seems like you have a pretty good view of lots of things going on in the life science startup world. What do you like most about your job? Ooh, 
What do I like most? I mean, I just like talking to cool people. I, I, if I could, if I could have one superpower, it would totally be being invisible. And it would just be because I would want to be able to go to parties and just listen to what groups of people are saying. I (laughs) do a lot of conversation. I love communication with people. um, But I really, I really enjoy just hearing about what people are doing, what they're excited about, learning from them. And in my role, I get to talk to like the coolest people in the world. I feel like I'm stepping into a time machine. And like I was saying with that technology for neonates or we have um, another technology that is actually software that's going to integrate with wearables and help doctors use, you know, your little smartwatch or something implanted to figure out if treatments are working. But I'm learning about this one, before anyone in the public knows. I'm the, I'm the one writing the press release. But also, these things could change people's lives in five years. And so I'm working one-on-one. I get to support the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, and I, I just really enjoy that role of, of being able to take that step back and watch my efforts to support someone else help them launch into a space that I think they're going to be really, really effective in. Nice. So that description is, I'm guessing, not what most people are looking toward when they start their PhD. Did you, did you envision science communications as part of your thing, or were you on an academic track? What was, what was your thought when you went, started graduate school? When I started graduate school, it was back in, in 2014, and I had a really – I had an interesting interview with somebody at a different university, um, came into this interview and it was someone who was extremely well regarded in the field. She was a career academic and she knew before I did that I probably was not going to go into academia. It was a, a strange interview for, for something that I was like, I'm applying to your school. And in fact, they, they gave me an offer that I, I ended up you know, going somewhere else. But she started talking to me about there's a lot of opportunities to help people. There's a lot of opportunities to learn about science, um, to be a mentor, to run your own, whether it's a lab or your company or your department, even if you're not a PI. And I mean, she was probably well revered in her field because she was so astute. About a year or two into my graduate work, I realized that doing that lab work was sort of the means to the end of being able to talk about science to go to conferences and obviously share my work, but also just ask other scientists what was going on, to learn things. It was an excuse to write fellowships. I thought that was cool. Just how can I understand this entire field and create something new that other people haven't yet? So I think going into it, I just knew that I really, really liked science. I liked microbiology. I didn't want to be a medical doctor. And uh, if you do a PhD in a biological science, um, like a research-focused biological science, you oftentimes have it paid for. So I saw this opportunity to get paid to do something I really loved. Um, And it turned out that I loved aspects of it. And doing the PhD did get me to a new place where I get to do even more of what I love, just kind of in a different way. Yeah, I wish I had run into that same person when I started before I started graduate school. And in fact, I mean, my uh, lab mates in graduate school would say, "Chris, you should be in marketing." And it took me like forty more years to figure that out. Um, 
but yeah. So um, my last question for you, Susanna, is what would you say has been the key to your success? Hmm. I think the key to my success has been figuring out and being honest with myself very quickly about what I don't like to do. Um, as a PhD student, as someone who's graduated, probably just as a human, I don't know, I haven't lived anyone else's experience, but uh, there's a lot of really exciting sounding opportunities. You constantly have people saying, oh, you should try this, or why don't you go do these things? And um, I feel like you can get actually kind of stuck in a moment of what do I want to do? And so what's been really important for me is to just try stuff out. I, I like I was saying, got into, got into grad school and then realized, well, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to be an always academic. Maybe I don't want to just do bench work. I've tried this as my main role. It's not exactly what fits. I think the first inclination was to, to reshape myself and figure out, okay, how can I become somebody who this, who fits into this role? And luckily got different opportunities to try out different spaces Said maybe I want to be a communicator. I'm going to try science communication, which is often science writing, tried science writing, hated it. I don't, I just don't like science or it's, it takes too much of a certain type of discipline that I don't enjoy. Um, and then I talked to museum people and I, I did certain types of outreach and each time trying a new thing, I found out pieces that I did enjoy uh, with the science writing, for example, it was really exciting to synthesize a bunch of information into a very small package. And I found that I didn't like writing an entire article, but I really liked writing, you know, 2000 character posts on something like Instagram, uh, doing the outreach with museums, found out that I was exhausted by working with the public all day, but I had an aptitude for working with scientists, helping them talk to the public. Uh, so I think that the key to my success has just been kind of unapologetically trying things out and saying, yeah, that's not, that's not what I want to keep doing. Like we said earlier, when you first try something out, people aren't really watching, you know, people aren't, it's maybe some people are watching the people who care about you, hopefully. Uh, but what I found is that people don't remember what you've stopped doing, um, there's been a lot of things that I've started, a lot of projects I've started, a lot of directions I've said, like, this is the direction I'm going. And, you know, two months <laughs> down the line said, nope, nope. And no one has ever held that against me. Um, and it's, it's gotten me to a point where I have a much better idea of what I do like. That just sounds like good advice all around. I wish I had heard that as well. But I think, you know, when I was in graduate school, it was academia and maybe go to work at a company and I didn't have, and honestly, I, only, I went to graduate school because I didn't have the big view of all those other things as well. And I thought, well, I like this. I'm curious about microbiology like you. I'll go do that. And then, it, well, that's not really for me. That was a long, painful discovery. And so um, it's good to, you know, let people know, like, you're just trying this on and, you know, you can finish that, move on to the next thing or not finish it, move on. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Susanna Harris, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, is there anywhere um, I should point people who want to connect with you, learn more about Zontogeny? Something for the show notes. Sure thing. Um, so I am all over. I'm all over the internet. It's hard to not find me. Uh, so if you look me up, I have a, a website, Susanna L. Harris. 
um, that's going to have links to pretty much every other social media platform, but tried to make it easy for you. Every social media platform that I'm on is at Susanna L. Harris. Uh, probably the best way to actually connect with me and have a conversation on a professional level is going to be through LinkedIn. I, I do constantly check that. Some of the other platforms are a little bit trickier, but always trying to have conversations with people, trying out new ideas, trying out new analogies, new stories, uh, and just getting really cool perspectives from different folks. I, I think that's, again, it's, I, this is somehow my job. It's somehow my job to be networking and to know scientists and to talk to people who are entering all sorts of different industries. So you can, you can reach out to me and make my job even easier. Nice. Will do. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. If I haven't mentioned how much fun this is, I'm telling you now. I love doing this. And if you're still listening, you might be enjoying it too. In which case, as always, you probably know someone else who will benefit. So please share it with them. And if you've ever asked yourself, how does Chris make money? Well, companies pay me to make content just like this. But the podcast is not the end. It's just the beginning. If you've got a story to tell and can't figure out how you're going to get it into all the different channels, we should talk. There's a link to my Calendly in the show notes. I'll be back in a fortnight. Bye-bye.